Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to catch up with an old friend of the show, local photojournalist Kenny Karpoff, who recently left Mosul, Iraq, where he covered the battle to retake the city for three weeks. The photos that he took in Mosul are stunning, absolutely heartbreaking pictures of war and the toll of war, the toll it takes on adults and children. We will talk to Kenny about that experience and his other experiences. Kenny has a knack for getting into places where there is human strife and human anguish and capturing it on film. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that segment for sure. But first, the investigation into Russia's meddling in the 2016 election is in full swing. If it turns to criminal charges in the highest office in the country, could President Trump decide, I'm going to pardon myself along with anyone else who is convicted? It's a question that has legal experts kind of scratching their heads. The president has hinted at the possibility in some of his recent tweets. What would happen, though, if this president or any other attempted to give himself or herself a pass on criminal charges. That's where we're going to start the show today, talking about the constitutional swirl of issues that surround not only this investigation, but the questions about what could happen if the president or his associates are convicted and he might decide, eh, we're not going to stand for those charges. Joining me now is Brian Kalt. He's a professor of law at Michigan State University. He focuses on the presidency. He is author of a book called Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. Brian Kalt, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Uh, so let's just start with the the instant question here. If President Trump, and, and I should say up front, I, I'm one of the people who thinks we're out in front of ourselves here, way out in front of ourselves, given the sketchiness of the investigation, the little detail that we have about what was actually occurring last year or what Robert Mueller may actually be looking at. Uh, at the same time, I, I, I totally acknowledge that uh, you know the, the, the conversation has turned to this space in part because of the president himself, who has hinted at the idea of a, of a pardon. Uh, but, but let's start with that instant question. If he were convicted of any sort of crime, could he extend a pardon to himself? Well, I think the, the first point to make is that if he were going to pardon himself, he almost certainly would not wait until he was convicted. There is a lot of doubt constitutionally about whether you can prosecute a president while he's in office. So if they were going to prosecute him, they would probably wait until he was gone. And at that point, he wouldn't have the power to pardon himself. So if he was going to do it, it would be a preemptive pardon, almost certainly. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would be in advance of a conviction, probably in, in advance of any charges, too. So, so that's, that's the first point. Uh-huh. Um, then uh, if he did it, it would, I would, I would argue, I argued, I first wrote about this back in 1996, speaking of getting ahead of ourselves, <laughs> um, but I argued that uh, the president should not be uh, construed as being able to pardon himself because 
uh, uh, well, constitutional arguments, but that's, that's how I would vote if I were a judge. The fact of the matter is there are arguments on the other side. There are other people who have weighed in on this who think that uh, the arguments are better on the other side. I think he can't pardon himself, but I can't pretend that I know what a court would do if he did pardon himself and if they tried to prosecute him anyway and uh, and the court had to decide. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the pardon power, which rests in Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, says shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States except in cases of impeachment. I, I, I sort of feel like that plays a role here too. In, in, in other words, uh, if he were going to be charged with a crime, if he were charged with a crime and, and convicted of that crime, then Congress sort of enters the picture as being able to deal with the consequence for this, for this presidency. Talk some about what role you might see them play in, 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 this, in this fictional scenario, at least at this point. Well, I think it's important, again, to put things in the, in the proper chronological order. Mm-hmm. So if, if he pardoned himself, again, it would be almost certainly before he was charged with anything. Um, the, the idea that you can't prosecute a president while he's in office is based mainly on the notion that if there's a president doing something inappropriate, that the remedy for that is impeachment. And then once he's out of office, then you can worry about whether to prosecute him or not. Mm -hmm. So uh, if he were to pardon himself, looking ahead to future uh, criminal prosecution, wanted to protect himself from that, if he pardoned himself, that would presumably give Congress uh, some pause, and they might say, well, uh, we don't know about these charges against you, uh, that we're developing, but we do know that pardoning yourself is is a pretty inappropriate thing to do, and maybe they could impeach him for that. Um, the pardon power is very broad. It has very few limits. The self-pardon, if self-pardons aren't allowed, would be one of the very few limits on that power, but that's as a legal matter. As a constitutional matter, the limit on the pardon power is political. Mm-hmm. Uh, political accountability, the president has to Keep in mind that uh, anything he does pardons anything uh, within his presidential powers uh, might come at a political cost, and at the extremes, that political cost might be impeachment. And that's the way the system is supposed to work. There was a debate when the framers of the Constitution were drafting it. There was a debate over. Uh, it, it sounds almost eerie um, to to read it now, but mm-hmm. one of the framers said, "Well." I'm a little concerned about this pardon power. It's too broad. What if, uh, what if we restricted it and didn't allow him to pardon for treason? Because what if, what if there were a bunch of traitors? And what if he was at the head of this conspiracy, right? What if the traitors were his own instruments, was the way they put it. Mm-hmm. And in that discussion, they decided, even if the president did that because the pardon power unrestricted would allow him to do that. Even if the president did that, the remedy is not to restrict the pardon power in the constitution, but to give him that full power and then hold him accountable through impeachment. And that's what they said. They said, well, if he did that, then we could impeach him and convict him. Um, the, 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 and convict him part is why one of the parts of my argument as to why I don't think they anticipated, 
uh, that a president would be able to pardon himself. Would be able to do it on, on, on his own. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Uh, I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Brian Colt. He's a professor of law at Michigan State University, focuses on the presidency. He is the author of the book Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. Uh, we're talking about the idea of whether President Trump could pardon himself if he finds himself caught up in criminal charges or potential criminal charges in the probe into whether Russia was colluding with the Trump administration during the uh, 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you think about this idea of the president pardoning himself? What do you think of uh, why do you think he brought that up on Twitter? Uh, the other day. We aren't even at the point of talking about charges in the Russia investigation. Uh, why is Donald Trump talking about that? And do you think he's right? Do you think uh, Donald Trump could um, could pardon himself and maybe uh, escape uh, consequence for those things? 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will work your comments into the conversation. Uh, th- there's uh, a counterpoint, Brian, to your opinion in the Washington Post uh, article that you were recently quoted in about this. Samuel Morrison, who specializes in pardon law, uh, was not so sure about this whole idea. He says the vagueness in the Constitution's wording is leaving a lot of space. Morrison's rationale is simple. There are no constraints defined in the Constitution itself that says the president can't do that. I would like to hear you respond to that, Brian. Well, again, I think that that is a a decent argument. That's the argument that I would expect the president to make or the president's lawyers to make if uh, an actual case came up. The, The argument on the other side that I have pressed, and again, I, I don't uh, pretend to know what a court would do, but um, the argument on the other side has two main parts besides the historical one that I mentioned before. The, f- the first is sort of textual. The pardon power is limited in one very important way, and that is you can only use the pardon power to issue things that are actually pardons. And what I mean by that is that maybe a pardon is inherently bilateral, inherently something that you can only give to someone else. Right. Uh, that's one of the arguments I make in my, my book chapter about this. I didn't make it in the 1996 article, but, but if, if you look, for instance, you can't pardon someone for something that uh, they haven't done yet. You can't say, I pardon you for the crime you're going to commit next week. Uh, the Constitution doesn't say that, but it's just inherent in the notion of what a pardon is, that it can only apply to things already done. So I make the argument, you know, you look at the Latin roots of the word. Some other words with the same Latin root are donate or condone, right? You can't donate something to yourself. You can't donate yourself a kidney. It doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, you can't <laughs> condone your own actions. That doesn't make sense. So similarly, the argument goes, um, you can't pardon yourself because that just wouldn't be a pardon. The other main part of the argument is that there's this very old deeply rooted legal principle that no one can be the judge in their own case. 
And uh, courts apply that maxim sometimes, except when they don't. Uh, but if they did, they would have a lot of uh, a, a lot of history, a, a lot of case law to back them up on this notion that if you are going to be looking, uh, and you know the president's not a judge; he's the president. But but if you're if you're looking at uh, some facts that occurred and deciding what the legal consequences are going to be, that's that's what we mean by judging. Um, that's what presidents do when they pardon. And the idea that someone would be the judge in his own case is sort of offensive to our, our principles of rule of law. So I, I can imagine a court looking at the situation and finding that uh, to control. Yeah. In fact, uh, Harvard Law professor Lawrence Tribe recently wrote a piece about this, and he says that in all of the instances in which you might imagine the president acting as uh, someone giving that that pardon to someone, uh, he is acting as a kind of super judge and making a decision about somebody else's conduct, the justice of someone else's sentence, or whether it is in the national interest to prosecute someone else. He is not making a decision about himself, and therefore self-pardon under that rubric is impossible. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Katie in Berkeley. Welcome to Detroit Today, Katie. Thank you so much. Good morning. I just wanted to share with you guys, I'm sitting in my car, and I just yelled aloud to myself, (laughs) there's no way that our beautifully textured, complicated democracy would allow the president to pardon himself. I mean, it's just our founding fathers had no such intention and worked so hard to create a system that would prevent such a thing. So it's just impossible. I impossible for me to figure, except for so many impossible things have happened in the last six months. (laughs) Right. I was going to say, Katie, I'm not sure that we're in the sort of normal space of a presidency or of, of constitutional behavior right now and and maybe maybe this is something that will that will end up uh, being tested but but I appreciate well, the call go ahead go ahead Brian I, I think also it's it's important to remember the constitution doesn't prevent all any and all bad things from it doesn't happening. Pre- pre- um, it doesn't prevent absurdities I mean there are some things in it that that create things that that by their very nature are contradictory correct well, I, I think the idea is, and, and again, l- looking at the d- debates that they had when writing it, was they knew that the pardon power might be abused. The question is, what mechanism does the Constitution set up to remedy to that? To deal with and, that, right. And the, re- the remedy is, uh, at the very least, impeachment. But, of course, that doesn't mean that he can pardon himself. This is an open question. But they could have made it a lot clearer. That That certainly would have made things simpler if they had just said he can't pardon himself. But... More often, what the Constitution does is say, here's who decides. Here's who decides what to do when things go wrong, instead of trying to figure out in advance what all the good things or bad things uh, the government might do and and preventing uh, or trying to prevent the bad ones. Yeah. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the the presidency and the history of these constitutional crises that surround the presidency. If you want to join us again on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. 
1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Brian Kalt. He's a professor of law at Michigan State University. He focuses on the presidency. He's the author of a book, Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. We're talking about the prospect of President Donald Trump pardoning himself if it looks like he's going to be charged in the probe into whether his campaign last year colluded with the Russian government. Is that something that could happen? If it does happen, what would the consequences look like? And does this sort of challenge some of our notions of constitutional uh, structure and restraint? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Do you think the president has the power to pardon himself? Do you think if he did do that, uh, there would be tremendous political consequence that he might face and that might deter him from that? What did you think of Donald Trump himself bringing up the idea, the specter of a pardon in some tweets uh, recently? Is he getting out in front of things or is he sort of tipping his hand that he knows something is coming? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Nathaniel in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today, Nathaniel. So my question really has to do with um, something, Steve, you said about uh, when quoting the Constitution. And I probably get it wrong, but you said something that the president cannot make a pardon when he's under impeachment. And this brings me back to Nixon. He was being impeached, then he resigned, and then he was pardoned. Mm -hmm. Was that legit? Or could they still prosecute him because the pardon didn't maybe cover anything that was any of the offenses for which he was being impeached? That's an interesting question, Nathaniel. I will let uh, Brian Kalt, uh, professor of law at Michigan State University, answer that. So I've I've seen this. Uh, it's actually a misinterpretation of that that clause. What the clause says is that the president can't use his pardon power to stop or undo an impeachment. It doesn't mean that he can't use his pardon power when he's being impeached. Um, Nixon had articles of impeachment approved by the House Judiciary Committee, but he mm -hmm. hadn't been impeached. And so the idea that uh, a member of the House could file a resolution of impeachment and then the president would lose his power to pardon, that's, that just wouldn't make sense. And that's not what the Constitution's doing there. What it's doing is it's taking Congress's impeachment power and it's protecting it from the president's pardon power. The impeachment process and the criminal law process go in parallel. So whatever happens on the criminal side, um, Congress can still do an impeachment, even if on the criminal side there's been a pardon. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I want to talk uh, more globally about these uh, constitutional cliffhangers, as you, as you put it in your book. Even though I think it's very common right now for people to say that we're living in a pretty extraordinary time. Some people are saying the, so the things that we're seeing in the White House are unprecedented. I think historians have a little more grounded view of that, that, uh, that things have often tested the bounds of our constitutional framework from the executive 
branch and that uh, that the republic has always sort of figured a way to survive through those. Talk about some of the other instances in history where we've seen these kinds of constitutional questions come up. Well, um, my, my book deals with ones that haven't come up yes. but might, and so it's good <laughs> to think about them in advance. Right. But some, some that have come up are... Um, in 1841, when William Henry Harrison was president and he died, uh, no president had ever died in office. And the Constitution, actually, in this uh, particular clause, is very badly written. It it made it unclear exactly what happens. Does the vice president become president, or is he only acting as president? Because if he becomes president, the same clause suggests if he becomes president, then if the president is disabled, the vice president becomes president. Yes. And then what happens if the president gets better? So fast forward 40 years to 1881, President Garfield gets shot, and Vice President Arthur doesn't want to do anything because that might be seen as usurping the presidency, and what if Garfield gets better? And so as a result, for several months, we had no one really effectively wielding the power of the presidency. That's, that's terrible. Uh, it was not fixed until 1967 with the 25th Amendment. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and there have been, in recent years, questions about the authority of the presidency. I mean, one of the, one of the strongest uh, debates, I think, in Washington over the last few presidencies has been about uh, executive orders and the things that the president is allowed to do outside the auspices of Congress. How far does Article Two power extend to the person who is president? And in a way, that's that's a constitutional challenge of sorts. Yes, that's a much bigger question, and it's got a much broader sweep. Mm-hmm. We've been dealing with that from from day one. The yes. power of the presidency has—I mean, it's had some ups and downs, but it's been expanding continuously and uh, pushing up against whatever limits there are. And we see the Constitution evolve. Things that uh, happen now, as a matter of course, that everyone accepts the president can do, that Congress is fine with the president doing, would have been anathema. 200 years ago, and no one would have believed that such a thing was even uh, thought of, let alone uh, doable. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter, and uh, we'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Mark in Detroit. Mark, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, good morning. Hi. Uh, yeah, I, I, maybe I missed part of it. Uh, I just caught the second part of the show. But uh, my question is, in, in no way am I defending uh, Trump, but um, I just, I, I have, I've lost in all the coverage, not only, you know, the conversation on your show, but the coverage that we've been bombarded with about collusion uh, and meddling on the part of Russia. But what is the actual concrete way that they that people think that they have done that because I, 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 I've missed that and I don't know how they could have you know, manipulated things in order to have this, this outcome that we have, um, i.e. Donald Trump. It's a great question, Mark, and I think it, it's a question I hear a lot of folks asking, which is what's the, what's the conduct here that might rise to the level of, of a charge? Um, Brian Colt, give us an idea of what we're what we're looking at here in this in this probe. 
Well, um, you know, I, I think this raises a very important point because I'm here as someone who thought about this in the abstract mm -hmm. without knowing what the charges might be. And at this point, I think it's still, um, it's still fairly abstract and we don't know exactly what the charges would be. We don't know exactly if uh, they're true or not and people would have their own opinions. But here's the thing. And, and I actually have a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal about this tomorrow where I go into more detail, but people have a misconception about the pardon power that pardons mean you're guilty. And it's a very understandable misconception because 99.9% .9 of the time that a pardon is issued, it's forgiving a guilty person. And the very idea of the pardon is that the person is guilty and that by accepting the pardon, they're saying they're guilty. There's an old Supreme Court case that uh, is taken out of context to suggest that pardons automatically mean you're guilty. Mm -hmm. But the pardon power also encompasses the power to exonerate someone. And it's not used that way very often, but it has been. Uh, the governor of Indiana, not that long ago this year, uh, freed a wrongly convicted person from prison, again, not because he was guilty and being forgiven, but because he wasn't guilty. So what I would expect the president to do if, uh, if, if he pardons himself in this current situation is not to say, yes, this is what I did, but I'm forgiving myself for it. What he would say is, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. This investigation is, is political. Right. It's political, it's, uh, it's bogus, it's a witch hunt, uh, it's fake news, whatever he, phrase he wants to use. He would say the charges, the, the, the investigations are unwarranted. I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. I have the power to stop this, and I'm going to use that power. And there is nothing legally in granting a pardon to someone that uh, precludes him from saying I'm giving this pardon not to forgive a guilty person, but to protect an innocent one. Now, the public would draw their own conclusions, right? They might think, uh, and 30, 40% of the public would probably say right on and, and, <laughs> and go right along with that. But ultimately, it would be up to Congress to decide what, if anything, to do about that. And this question of the charges themselves, talk a little bit about this word, collusion, that keeps surfacing and is, I think we all believe, at the center of the investigation. From a legal perspective, I think this is one of the things that Mark is trying to get at. What, what does that mean? What would that look like? What would have to be proven uh, or at least alleged to, to, to bring a charge of collusion? Well, I'm, um, I'm not an expert on the criminal law uh, in, in, in this instance, so I wouldn't want to talk out of school on this, but my, my sense is um, that there are things going on on three levels here. Uh, one is the criminal law level, mm -hmm. and again, I don't, uh, I don't know enough about that to say. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that it would be relating to uh, federal criminal law about uh, the funding of elections and uh, foreign influence. Um, but then there's the impeachment level, and impeachment is, again, separate from the criminal process. So whether collusion, however defined, is a crime or not, whether um, talking to foreign powers about uh, what they might do to influence the election is a crime or not, it would certainly be uh, fodder for Congress to... Mm -hmm 
impeach if they wanted. And then the third level is just public opinion. Again, regardless of whether it's a crime, regardless of whether it's impeachable, what the public thinks and how they vote at the next opportunity uh, is is ultimately the most important level at which to understand this. Yes. Uh, again, Mark, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Nancy in Rochester Hills. Nancy, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Hey. Um, I have a couple of questions about criminal charges. Um, I know your guest said that you could not um, charge a president for criminal charges and you know, you know try him while he's president because it's too disruptive. But I have heard that under the 25th Amendment, because there's um, a process still in place to have the president removed if he's unable to perform and have somebody else in there, that there, some people are saying that he could be charged and tried while he's still the president. Or, and then the other part is that you're still um, um, eligible to be charged on state charges, is my understanding, if it's not a federal charge. Hmm. Uh, Nancy, great points, great questions. Uh, I, I think I, just a, a correction. Uh, I think Brian Colt said it's, it's unclear whether a president can be charged while he or she is, is president. But I'll let, I'll let you answer that uh, Yeah, this is so chapter one of my book is can you prosecute a sitting president? Chapter two is can the president pardon himself? And chapter three is about the 25th Amendment. So uh, (laughs) we got all that in one question. (laughs) That's that's great. Um, Let's take the state prosecution point first. That's that's a very important point, too. Mm -hmm. The pardon power cannot do anything about state prosecutions. And uh, the Attorney General of New York has been making some noise. So that's that's an important point, too. As far as the 25th Amendment is concerned, though, if, if um, part, part of the argument about not being able to prosecute the president while uh, he's in office is that it would be disruptive, the 25th Amendment does provide a mechanism to deal with that disruption, but it doesn't really work here because the 25th Amendment gives the president the power to say uh, that he is able to exercise the powers and duties of his office. So the way it works is the vice president and a majority of the cabinet would declare that the president can't do his job right now, uh, they might say, because of this prosecution. But the president can come back and say, yes, I can. And then two things happen. Uh, one is the cabinet and the vice president have four days to redeclare that he's that the president is disabled. If, if they do that, then it goes to Congress. Uh, to decide whether the president should be forced to step aside and the vice president become acting president or not. For them to decide that, you need two-thirds in the House and two-thirds in the Senate, which is more than you need for impeachment. For right. impeachment, you only need a simple majority in the House and right. two-thirds in the Senate. So if you if you have the votes to make the president step aside, you have the votes to impeach him, too. And so it it really, the 25th Amendment process isn't really designed for a situation where the president can pipe up and say, I, I'm fine, I can do this, and uh, push the issue to Congress. It's really more for when he's in a coma or he's missing or something like that. The other problem is that while the 25th Amendment does leave the vice president in charge until that four-day waiting period is over, uh, it is written ambiguously, and people have misread it, and this is what the chapter in my book is about. People have misread it to suggest when the president says he's okay, he takes power back immediately, and then if within four days they redeclare it, then then the vice president takes charge again. But this misreading would have the president saying, I'm in charge right now, I can exercise the powers and duties of my office, and then he would 
fire the cabinet. Um, and then you would have the cabinet saying, well, no, you can't do that. And you'd have, so you'd have the vice president and president both claiming to be in charge. You'd have two sets of people claiming to be the cabinet as the president would appoint some acting secretaries. Uh, it would be a huge mess and a huge problem and a, a path that it would be much better to not walk down. Yeah. Okay, Brian Call, professor of law at Michigan State University, author of the book Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. Thank you very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. All right, up next, we are going to talk with local photojournalist Kenny Karpov, who was recently in Mosul, Iraq, where he covered the battle to retake the city for three weeks and the human toll it created. He will tell us about his experience next on Detroit Today. Thank you.